Hello, listeners. Welcome to Amusings, where we chat with various people in the industry to give us an interesting insight to their career and thoughts. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leslie. And we also have Adria here, who will introduce us to our next mystery guest. So I've got someone really special for you today. It's actually somebody that I have not physically seen in probably close to years. So it's been a while, but this individual is quite steeped in the hospitality end of things. So she started her career way back when working at Disneyland in the Tiki Room and then wound up becoming a tour guide. So she was giving tours in French and German and Spanish. She wound up being an ambassador finalist and then working on Disneyland Paris. So she's really done quite a a spectrum of things. She is also uh, an honorary member of Le Le Clef d'Or, which represents the highest percentage of hotel concierges around the world. So it's quite a, quite an honor and she's amazing. And she's also very involved with something that has to do with the ocean. But we'll get into that. Please welcome in our guest for today, Roberta Nedry. I just shared a little bit with Leslie and Rachel about who you are and started with your history a little bit. But maybe you can kind of give us the elevator speech version of your career from way back when up to date. Don't feel as if you have to mention any years. Uh, Yeah, no. Oh, good. I was really hoping that, that years don't matter. And minutes and seconds. They don't. We're kind of we're kind of getting down to minutes and seconds. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, first of all, talk about gratitude. I met Adria back in high school, which again we won't mention years for that, when we were both involved in a wonderful scholarship program for young women. And I'm just so grateful that decades, shall we say later, that we are still still in touch. And uh, so that's a, a beautiful thread and a beautiful connection. I went on to uh, UCLA. I pursued a, a major in linguistics linguistics and studied five languages. So languages were always a pretty big deal and continue to be a big deal. Why? Uh, Because I think communication and understanding different points of view from other sides and really getting inside of a culture makes such a difference. So languages were very, very meaningful to me and continue to be so. I ended up using those at Disney, where I worked for several years on many levels, including uh, as a tour guide to uh, welcoming people to the Enchanted Tiki Room, to participating in a competition of Disney's Ambassador of the World to different roles outside of the park with the Paris Park and the Disney Channel, Disney Home Video, which uh, now you really can see if I'm talking about home video and video cassettes, yikes. And now I run and establish a firm absolutely inspired by the Disney organization on guest experience management called Hospitality Excellence. So. Fast forward from all those years, it's actually a continuous thread because my whole thing has been to be part of, create, define, and deliver experiences that are meaningful. So whether the languages accent that or whether behaviors um, serve that. And so I've had this firm for almost 25 years now providing guest experience management, and occasionally I even compete with my icon inspiration of Disney. 
So that's a little bit the span of, of career time with lots of little pieces in between. Now, what Roberta glossed over, I have to say, was she was uh, California's junior miss. So she ah, actually yeah. represented the state <laughs> at the national competition, um, which was brilliant. And and um, I was very happy to be one of the individuals to continue to support her on that journey. And I think it's been thank um, you. It's been Thank brilliant, you. but I think the last time you and I saw each other actually was when you were working for the American Cancer Society. Yes, yes, and that was another one of my steps along the trail, which talk about experiences involving people. That was a completely unexpected turn. It was just a blind ad I responded to, and I discovered another whole side of the world, not only from the health aspect, but of people committed and dedicated and united in a cause. And so, yes, I was part of the American Cancer Society. And that was very, very meaningful. And what's really cool is relationships are so much a part of all of this. I am still very close friends with many of the volunteers that I recruited from that time. So it's amazing how when you're in a service role like that, what kind of other benefits happen. That's brilliant. Now, Leslie and Rachel, so while we're in the entertainment side of things, theme parks and attractions, uh, Roberta spent a large majority of her time invested in the hotel side of hospitality and has some pretty, pretty impressive credentials along that way, too. So I will let you guys start asking questions. I don't want to butch the pronunciation. The keys of gold are the cleft is that how you pronounce that? Oh, good. Um, I am absolutely going to help you with your pronunciation. It is Le Clay. The F is silent, as is the S. Le Clay d'Or. So le Clay d'Or. Oui, oui, Le Clay d'Or. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. That is pretty much the top 3% of the concierge profession, right? Yes. When you see those golden keys on the lapel of a concierge in any hotel around the world, you are dealing with one of the absolutely top credentialed service professionals in the world. Service meaning every aspect of not only fulfilling multiple challenging requests, but really thinking proactively and creatively way ahead of the curve as to what individually is going to be the most meaningful experience for you. And that is incredible, as well as that you're a member and that we're talking to you. How does something like that come around? Excellent, excellent question. It is earned. And the particular role and honor that I hold is as one of their international and USA honorary members. So they bestowed that on me because of a lot of the work and education and training that I do. And I've worked with them in different organizations around the world. For the actual working Leclador member, it is a minimum of a five-year process where you are working in a hotel and you need to fulfill a, a list of requirements and then recommended by two current members who then put you through a vetting process where then other people check on you like a mystery shopper to catch you on the job and see, is this person all that they say they are or all that others say they are on paper? And then eventually you are awarded your golden keys. So you must put the time in and you must put the journey of experience and credentials in. And you must be recommended and recognized by your peers before those prestigious keys of gold are put on your lapel. Wow, that's amazing. A lot of work. And my first question there is for some of our audience, and we work with a lot of professionals 
that while they, they may be in attractions, may also have accommodations on site. So they may be um, a dual role in a resort and an attraction, um, et cetera. I'm curious because there's a lot of those that have spun off and we know them that have gone into hotel as their main career over time. Does these kind of qualifications, is that also based around a caliber of hotel or resort that they need to basically be looking to be a part of that team? Well, it is primarily in your um, upper level luxury and or boutique four and five star, if we're looking at stars level of hotels. However, there are some very forward thinking general managers that say, it doesn't matter that we're not a four or five star or we're a smaller, more boutique hotel. I want one of those in my hotel. And that's a very smart individual. And I say that very, very emphatically because I am an advocate for this level of person in all these years, pre-COVID, post-COVID, AI, artificial intelligence and all this. There's, oh, do we really need that role? And so there's been a lot of jostling around of these kinds of people that ne not necessarily are part of operations. And yet, guest loyalty and repeat business and impression and brands and reviews are one of the most powerful drivers and indicators. Why would you ever not want someone that has all the skills to mobilize that on such a high level? So I gave you a little bit of extra on the answer to your question, but it's because I feel very strongly about it. <laughs> and we noticed. <laughs> and, yeah, right. You know, kind of bubbles out sometimes, but it is in your Ritz-Carlton's, your Peninsula's, some of the real iconic hotels. And if one of those hotels doesn't have one, you got to kind of scratch your head a little bit and go, hmm, are they just shuffling people around? At least that's my personal opinion. So yes, they're all different kinds of properties. Les Clés de Concierge are in over 60 countries all around the world. There's about uh, three to 4,000 in the world, which is not a huge number when you when you think about it. So it's, it's a pretty prestigious, prestigious scope. Absolutely. And I think that it's really interesting. I love the idea of those entrepreneurial owners that maybe are smaller in size, but looking for the quality of what that organization can give them. It's kind of like a chef to me. These are things that we all enjoy food. We all enjoy being treated at a certain level. And the skill that it takes to do that is just so impressive. It just gives you that tingly feeling like you saw a show almost. I love that you said tingly. I love that you said chef because many of the titles of the concierge is the chef concierge, the chief concierge, the chef. So you will see that that title. And the thing that you just said about hospitality skills is also really another thing, hot button for me because that's the essence of, of my company and, and what we do. And what we do is actually not only hotels, it's in about 25 different industries. And hospitality skills are not just smiling and greeting. There are so many sides of behaviors. There's the procedural side of service and there's the personal side of service. And if those two are not blended together, you will not reach the perceptual side of service. Perceptual is where feelings take place. And feelings are the critical uh, thread of impact for all of us. How do we make people feel? 
How do we make me them feel when they arrive, when they depart, when they're in their rooms, when they're in the parking lot, when they're on the phone? And what are all the things? Can we be too efficient and or can we be too gushy and too personal? So when you think about uh, hospitality skills, what does that mean? And then how do you bottle that up and deliver it and train with that? I love the conciseness, Roberta, of the procedural, personal, and perceptional. I come from an operations background, so my my natural inclination for most things is to first start with the procedural. However, I'm a Southern girl born in Arkansas, and there's just an ability to chat, as we call it, which is right. the uh, the unskilled hospitality of some of us. No, but it's the natural intuitive part. And too. So it's a natural intuitiveness, but always looking to prompt those skills. And then I love the fact that both of those things are necessary. And, and that comes into the perceptive aspect of what, what's been perceived by the guests. So it was such a great way of kind of outlining what that is. That, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Well, it has to be because that's part of what we talk about in our side of the industry too, is the fact that while we have all these brilliant things that people can do, right? Rides or shows or what have you, it's the ability of a single individual to make or break how somebody's experience goes. And it can flip, you know, somebody's bad day into a great day or the reverse. And so I think what you're speaking about, Roberta, is exactly what the people listening to this podcast will react and respond to because it's a part of what we do and what we aspire to do on a daily basis. Absolutely. And and again, one of, one of the examples that I use is you can have a beautiful lobby with, with ornate uh, flower arrangements and chandeliers and the most beautiful things in the world. And if you run into flat and or unemotional or undisconnected service, it doesn't matter. On the other side, you can go into a dimly lit, maybe not as posh kind of place and just be so warmly greeted that everything is brought to, to life. And so it, it's really a powerful concept. And I've spent a lot of time with people in operations about this very, very example, because operations is always getting everything organized. And the experience is, yes, the experience will carry you so far. A be shy restaurant carry you so far. It will mm -hmm. carry you so far. You want that longevity. You want that loyalty. You want that continuous thread of word of mouth and referrals. You want them talking about the way they felt, not just the experience that they had, but the way they felt throughout the whole thing. And the other really critical part of this, even more than the guest experience, is the employee experience. So, so we spend a lot of time on how are you making your own employees feel, people in charge, general managers, <laughs> operations directors, how are they feeling even before they come to work or step on stage? How are they feeling before they get there? So the, a lot of this experiential training and behavioral training needs to happen with the management of any organization before we even get to hospitality training of the employees for the guests. Yeah, it's true. It's that culture. It's that cultural development and that cultural understanding of what you really think you are. Because it's not yeah. always what you have printed out on, on your mission statement. I love that you said that too, about how the employee experience really is similar to the guest experience. And if you want to build loyal customers, you also have to build the loyal employees. I know certainly our industry right now, we seem to be going through a, a recruitment struggle. This is quite the conversation. You have to treat it your is. employees well, because number one, they'll want to work for you. But if they're showing up miserable, then your guests aren't going to get a good experience anyway. 
you just had another hot button because that is another thing that's going on now because staff shortages are so prevalent and it is hard to get good people. The people that are working are being stretched so thin. Those really good ones that are still showing up to work are not necessarily getting the support and resources that, that they are having. I see this everywhere from the local CVS pharmacy to a major brand hotel to the gift shop. It's just unbelievable what is happening in terms of this dynamics. This is a reality. There are those sh the staff shortages. There are those points. So what needs to be uh, tweaked internally so that these really good people that still are there and giving this gift of, of incredible service are not burnt out and uh, feeling just stressed. And therefore that, how is communicated to the guests? Yes, and we're having to reevaluate. There's only so much that you can fit in and stretch. And I think that also for good people, it's not even about as much as the longer hours and things like that. It's whenever you know that you can't be 100%. That's really hard right. for someone right. who's really motivated. That is, that's really hard to take home. Like, oh, I was 80% today, even though my 80% might look like somebody else's 100. Those really good folks take that burden home with them. And so it does take some reevaluation of, I really like that you said the different areas that are experiencing this, because I think that there's still a lot of folks that are um, in, in different areas at different facilities, no matter what industry you may be in that feel like they're the only one, because that's what it can feel like whenever you're in this is like, oh my gosh, I'm failing. I'm failing my team. It, it feels like you're the only one. So thanks for pointing out this is happening big time and worldwide. Big time. So let's all just kind of give ourselves a little break on that. And then the yes. second is like, how, we have to be able to fit it in. So what has to go? Something does have to go. It may be a, a reevaluation of what the operating plan is for the day, but it has to go. We talk a lot about just Rachel and Adria and I about um, mental fitness and mental health. I was thinking mm -hmm. about it in that same way. What you're describing is to make sure that not just you have training, but that ongoing training, which is how, what are you doing to keep up your hospitality fitness? Yes, you know, it's not just absolutely. that one and done kind of training. Like how are you cultivating and changing uh, your operation to meet and make sure that it supports that hospitality fitness to keep that high caliber of skilled labor skilled, <laughs> not just, right. not just right. the, anybody that fills the roster that skilled labor. And what are you suggesting to your clients when they're stretched? What is the options that you're coming up with? The number one thing that anyone in any organization can do is just acknowledge it, number one, and have empathy. That will do so much. That person you talked about, that 80% person that normally gives 100%, if my boss or my uh, leader says to me, wow, I, you are really, I just so appreciate it. Why don't you leave a little bit early today? Or why don't you, you know, just to, to go recover? Empathy and just acknowledgement is such an overlooked yet overwhelming powerful thing. And so that's what, as opposed to, okay, everybody, let's figure out what it is we got adjusted instead of, instead of just doing that, but just taking a moment to breathe and, and accept that. And then looking at opportunities during the day, whether it's just 10 minutes or 15 minutes where there can be some just 
little mental health breaks. Hey, we want you to take a mental health. Yes, you can go have your popcorn break or your coffee break too. But, you know, let's build in a little. Is 10 or 15 minutes really going to take everything offline and can people not, and not cover it? So what are some of the other places that we can do that? The other thing is, and operations usually is pretty good at this, is figuring where some of the workloads could be shared a little bit more or covered. Pet peeves of mine, um, it, it's not my department, so I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know, I'm the bellman, so I don't do anything with the guests at check-in. I'm not trained for that. I'm not trained. I'm not supposed to touch, you know, this. Or the housekeeper, housekeeper and security, again, two of the most overlooked areas that could be helping and one of the most potent guest exposure areas, the security guys in fixing your air conditioning or your remote control or housekeeping, cleaning a spill or whatever. How much are those people empowered to have a little bit of guest interaction and or assistance that's perhaps beyond their straight focus of operations? So it requires really an opening of the mind and a shift in perspective and therefore perception of what it is we can do to enable, empower, and engage different facets of our employees while giving them a break. Yeah, absolutely. It's that cross-training mentality, right? It's getting people to understand that your job is not compartmentalized. It's actually much broader than that. And I think that's a challenge. And in general, yes. training is a challenge because I can say too, the operational side, while building in models for those mental health breaks or breaking in models for bits of training, those are often the first things to get cut out of a budget. Absolutely because, they are. Because they don't seem like a value. And so trying to adjust the value proposition of what training actually does for your business is, I think, one of the challenges when it comes Big to uh, senior leadership, understanding and appreciating it. Yeah, big challenge. And so maybe it's not using the word training and maybe it's not building it in. Maybe we need to take a little bit more of an informal um, approach to this and mm -hmm. equip our people in charge with being able just to have a five minute conversation with someone one on one or in team meetings on the the, 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 the weekly meetings or the um, daily uh, warm ups or whatever it is. Maybe it's not training necessarily because that is I, I i go up against that all the time we don't we have we have to cut we don't have a budget for training we can't set the room aside we can't pull them off the shift well there's got to be some channel of communication somewhere somehow and a lot of times we find that the people in charge don't even necessarily know how to coach and or have that empathy or acknowledgement yeah. with their people and usually it's the person at the top that's kind of setting the tone for that. So that's a lot of times we have a chat with that level of person about these are real life things and how do you humanize the daily interactions if you don't have that time for that chunk of training or, or that budget. There are many other informal ways to accomplish this. Yeah, very true. I'm curious, given your experience and your background and your passion for travel, what are standard experience of for you, where where have you been in the world when somebody talks about a great experience? What does that conjure in your mind on a personal level? Oh, it really is very much about people and conversations for me. It's just extraordinary. There's a hotel in Italy on the coast, the Hotel Bristol, and there is a spa there, the Spa Air. 
E-R-R-E. And I had an experience there and got to know the spa manager. And now I go out, I, she's become a good friend of mine. She's someone that I stay in touch with. I try and support any programs she has from abroad with, with referring other guests. And it's because she made this, and this, this wasn't like a big name hotel on the charts, it was a Lake Claydor referral. Lake Claydor Concierge was not working there, but the Lake Claydor are very plugged into other kinds of experiences to refer you to. And so it's when I go to a property and or a location and I find these people that just step out of their zone in connecting with me and making a heart connection, that's what really stands out for me beyond what the bed feels like, what the view is, what the food is. Beyond that, it's those personal connections for me. I was just thinking you did such a great job of describing that particular experience, which took me back to my honeymoon in Italy. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> there's some places, let's be honest, in the world where you just can't mess up the food. It's going to be great no matter what. True. Yes, so, that is. I'm thinking of how this hospitality fitness, how do you fit it in? How do you, whenever you're stressed and stuff, I think it is really important for anyone who is, is doing this professionally to find places that you've just described, Roberta, maybe not Italy, maybe it's somewhere closer, but also to have experiences of being treated really well as a guest. And for me, it really wasn't kind of until a bit later in my career that I started to travel to contemporary type places that, that were close to mine, but a lot looked like my facilities. I'm talking like, you know, just really things that gave me an aspirational thing to touch, feel, experience that. And that goes back to what you were talking about the feeling. I think it's really important for um, us as industry professionals or young people in the industry find excuses and ways to also be treated well in hospitality so that you can understand it. Absolutely. I was, yeah. I, it, and it, it, it's so, and then I was going to say, that's our excuse to go to this hotel with Roberta. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, send you, I'll, I'll get you all plugged in because it's, it's, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, something that everybody knows, but it's a very special kind of unique and hidden thing. I mean, and this applies to any kind of experience. I was just in the Florida Everglades a couple of days ago on a kayaking adventure and had our guide on the kayak that just made the experience so much more meaningful, but just by the stories he was able to tell, by the way he was able to relate and the way he was able to personally connect me to something that was meaningful there in, in the Everglades. So it really is, the, when you say, where can you go and how do you get these experiences and where are they? They can happen in the most surprising place. I was in a restaurant where nobody else was and the waitress surprised me with her care and her interest. I love being surprised by authentic, emotionally connected, and they're not even trying to impress you. They're just looking at you and going, wow, human being, yeah. I something happening and I want to help you feel better human being. And it's just, it's just so powerful when it happens. It's connectivity. It's what you said before. It's that human factor, that commonality, even in the strangest places sometimes. Yeah. That's what I appreciate about getting out and experiencing things. But also to your point, find it fascinating that there are a lot of experiences that I've had that are not at the fanciest hotels or the no. biggest theme parks or anything. There's, there's small places like little nooks and crannies all oh. over the place that I, I have a tendency to have a fondness for. So I kind of seek 
those strange things out. Yes. Yes. What, what I think the takeaways are is there's so much that perhaps even the midsize and the larger organizations could learn from some of these little tiny places that, that have their own sense of self and their own sense of experience and creation that really have a much more elevated opportunity perhaps to connect with the people that happen to come into their location. So I think there's a lot to be learned from from everybody's side. From everybody's. And, you know, a lot of times I've I've met housekeepers that, you know, kind of put their heads down and say, oh, well, I'm not the same level and I'm not really able to do that. And it's like, gosh, you want to help those heads go up and everybody, those nooks and crannies, all these people have little stories that have created who they are. And when you pay attention to those little stories, it's like, again, so empowering. And it's just, it can happen at your dry cleaner. It can happen in your shoe repair place. And when you find those people, it's uh, sometimes I see people in those kinds of places and I just want to bottle them up and take them to a major organization and go, this is what you need in your organization. This is the kind, and I want to tell that person, you know, you want to go work over here. You're a gold mine of things. And it's really back to basics and the simple basics of authenticity and sincerity. And just, you know, as Dolly Parton says, a little kindness. Yeah, agree with that. I want to switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind. Hello there, dear listeners. You may be wondering, hmm, Rachel is not talking much. What's happening? Well, everyone, I'm an introvert. Just kidding. Well, actually, I'm not. I am an introvert. However, right in the recording of this episode, I was in the middle of opening a new attraction. And at this specific moment, a dump truck came and was reversing. And all you could hear in my audio was beep, 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 beep for around 30 minutes. So that is where I went. And with that tale being told, back to our regular programming. One of the things that Roberta is doing currently is involved with the ocean. And it has to do with ocean conservation too. But there's a lot more to it than that. I don't want to spill any beans here. I want her to share it with you. It's pretty funny. Like, what in the world is she doing at this age? So um, I am now a professionally trained Patty certified mermaid instructor. I'm a mermaid. (laughs) <laughs> he just blew their minds Roberta yeah, which I knew yeah, happen, yeah. because yeah, mermaids yeah. are like the concierge of the ocean <laughs> yes, yes well yes actually it's so cool that you said that because um you know the word concierge when you trace it back uh concierge means like the keeper of the candle the holder of the of the candles and the keeper of the keys of the castles the word mermaid Mer, mer in French is the sea, maid is servant. So mermaids are servants of the sea. And I just think that's just the most beautiful, <laughs> simple thing. And I am a full-fledged, as I said, certified and trained mermaid. I've been trained as a free diver. So uh, I do training on breath holds. And my mermaid journey actually began when I was born because I was born in um, Okinawa, Japan during a typhoon, a storm of water. And I believe from the inside of my heart that that was a, a destiny moment. And in the fourth grade, I wrote a whole book report and story about Vashishta 
the mermaid and it was a whole journey in fourth grade. I don't even know where this came from about becoming America's first mermaid and uh, protecting the ocean and removing pollution. And it was just this whole journey in fourth grade. Fast forward to three years ago, I saw that mermaid, I thought mermaids were just people in attractions and people, actresses and people in movies that were hired. And it turns out that you, me, and anybody who really wants to can become a mer person and be part of the mer folk community. It's not just mermaids anymore, it's it's mer folk. And um, so on Mother's Day three years ago, my son got me my very first tail. I now have 12 different tails. Uh, so I have 12 different mersonas because we have a whole vocabulary in the mer world. It's quite the subculture. And I have different mersonas that I transform into. And I take my tails everywhere in the world now. And so when I mentioned I was in the Everglades a couple of days ago, I was in the swamp as a mermaid. I was hanging out and we made sure that alligators were at least 20 feet away. And I've taken my tail to Istanbul and Hungary, but more than anything, I just love being 30 feet down on, in the water, no equipment, scuba diving, you have equipment, mermaiding, your body is your equipment. And so it's been unbelievable. It's been mermazing. <laughs> Leslie doesn't even know what to say right now. It's <laughs> awesome. I just love it. And I agree with you that there's just so many things in, in one's path that just leads you right to where you're supposed to be. And <laughs> that is pretty cool <laughs> where you are. Her pictures are amazing too. She's just had some more photos done, but she's posted a lot of her pictures and they're just, they're beautiful. They're stunning. So it's well, uh, well, thank you. One of the things that I've loved more than anything about the Mer community, um, not sure if you've heard of Mer People, the, the documentary on Netflix that just came out a couple months ago. And then we just had the Little Mermaid movie re-released with a Black actress. Um, the mermaid community, the Mer community is unbelievably inclusive. It draws community. And so you see people of all shapes and sizes that on land may feel self-conscious or, or disconnected. And the moment they put on the tail, again, doesn't matter what size, what you look like, skin color, gender, any of those things, you put the tail on and it just all becomes beautiful. And we all become united with our love of being in the water and sharing what it means to you to be part be this ocean creature um, that cares about um, the ocean, that cares about the environment. So there is this other side beyond the beautiful and the artistic side, which is very, very artistic, but there's this other just beautiful uniting community inclusivity of the Mer community. Oh, that is so cool. Do you have any friends that you knew going into doing this or was it you kind of got out there and did this on your own and then met the community later? I did. I did not know anybody in the community cool. at all. And uh, you may have heard of Wikiwachi Springs in, in Florida, which is one of the original performers still going on today. But I mean, they've been around forever. And so these were always things that I just looked at in awe. And of course, Daryl Hannah and Splash and Original Little Mermaid and Hulk Spitzer Anderson and, and all of those things. And then I put my tail in the water with the Mer community and it's incredible how many new friends all around the world I have 
that are part of this. I've been to the California Mermaid Con Convention. Early August, I was in Cozumel for Mer Week for the Mer Games, where we competed in all different kinds of events a la Mermaid. Just a few days ago, the very first international Mer competition took place in China with different countries, where we had one of our most iconic mer merman, Andy, who represented the United States and placed second to uh, a merman um, from Taiwan. So it's really just a powerful, mobilizing um, community, doing a lot of good, not only beautiful things and inclusive things, but proactive things to ignite people's interests, not only for joy and wonder, but for this beautiful place we call the ocean, and not only the ocean, but our, there are freshwater mermaids. There are lake and river mermaids. We've got you know, a lot of work to do to get the plastics out of the ocean, to figure out how we restore reefs that are disappearing. So the mer community is really championing a lot of those causes. Oh, that's just amazing. And I think it's just so great that you just boldly went in <laughs> and then you, your friends will come you'll figure that part out as it goes but just to be emboldened enough to say yeah I want to do this so I'm going to that's a really yeah. important step it is it is it's, we don't have to have age limit us and we don't have to have you know sunsets on different phases of our life and it is very inspiring for me, but I also like being someone who might ignite the interest and potential in other people that, oh, I don't have to just do this or move into this level or move right. out. It's just, it's in your brain, it's in your heart. And when you see other people doing it, you go, wow, I can do that too. And so I've had a lot of people my age yeah. say, gosh, can you teach me? And can I, can I do that? These are people you would never in a million years think would even think of something like that. And I love that maybe my little role helped inspire and or trigger that possibility. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, you know, I dive right in there with you, Roberta. Oh, well, I'm waiting for it. I mean, it, it, it's about time, don't you think? I mean, oh, I on, think so, is... probably. I'm a big I'm a big believer that you are never too old to learn new things. You're never too old to try, you know, try new things. Um, you know, our only limitation really is what we have inside our heads. I don't know that it's age anymore. That really is the restriction. You know, we're really taught very early on, you're a this, you're a that stay in your lane. Um, these your are lane. the kinds of things you like because you've yeah. been identified as an introvert or an extrovert. You know, we have been given these labels and things. So, so early on, I don't even, I think that it even can happen really early in adulthood where you just like, Oh, I don't try that. Cause I don't do that. You know, it, and, and it really is just about like, we're always just trying to figure out what we do. <laughs> what we right. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you live in the Northeast and it's freezing cold. Well, there's a lot of other options. There are pools and there's all kinds of different ways to be involved and to unleash the possibilities. And, and when you have a community that is supportive of that, that certainly helps as well. Yeah. And that's one of the nice things about the Murr community. That's really wonderful. When you that's find cool. that and you kind of unlock that door for yourself, it just you know, enriches your own life, right? And others, as you've said, right? Inspiration. And it others. comes with costumes and accessories. I mean, <laughs> these this is win, win, win. This is all inspired now. That's awesome. I'm inspired. I know. Oh, I, yeah. I was just trying to think with all my back injuries, can I do this? <laughs> <laughs> so as we come to our wrap up here, we'll default to, uh, to Leslie for her oh, takeaways. 
So what some of the things that I just thought were amazing was first of all, from a, a person who my backgrounds in operations, theme parks, water parks, high adventure facilities. So to understand more of the calibers that goes into some of the hospitality aspects of the hotel industry was really cool. And I think that that's really important for some young folks that I know of that are in hospitality and looking at hotel management, that there is a bit more even than maybe they've been made aware of. And I think that's really an important component to understand that that skill level is there. And also just talking about the hospitality fitness aspect. How do we fit it all in? How do we make sure that our people stays a priority? And it's not just about staying open, but that the hospitality stays the priority and what we're doing. I think that that's going to be really important. And we got to meet a real life mermaid. So I don't know, I guess, I guess just (laughs) what else, what else do we want? (laughs) There's really no other request I have. Well, Roberta, thank you so much for taking the time with us today to share your history and some of your insights and certainly about more people, which was a definite highlight. But for me personally, it was just so nice to have a chance to see your lovely face and get a chance to chat. And we will have to catch up now uh, in person. Thank you so much for your time. And we will talk to you you really soon. Mm -hmm.